podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is Lewis Hart for Boxing Social in association with Empire Fire Store and HouseofBoxing.com. Delighted today to be joined with Dan Hardy. Um, I think we've just about recovered from Riyadh. Uh, I can't really believe what I saw on Saturday night. I'm sure you were so well. I'm sure you had a bit of belief more than other people, but um, yeah, Fran- Tyson Fury defeats Francis Ngannou by split decision. Um, in a way that nobody thought that fight would go. Um, yeah, what are your initial your thoughts after sort of a few days uh, out from the fight? Honestly, I mean, I'm I'm still I'm still just in a in a a very kind of happy place with it for Francis and for you know what he was able to achieve. Um, my feeling about the fight is still the same. You know, when I scored it on the night, I had it 96-93 for Ngannou. I gave him the first four rounds. I gave him uh, seven and eight. And obviously had the knockdown in the third. So for me, he was winning on the scorecards. And I came back and I watched it a few more times when I got home and, and I still score it the same pretty much. I could probably sway back and forth on the first round going to Fury. But for me, Ngannou, you know, even after the fourth round, I was like, he's done enough now. It doesn't really matter what happens in the rest of the fight. Yeah. He's already kind of proved people wrong and including me. I mean, you know, like I, I'm, I'm getting a bit of, uh, you know, like people are saying, oh, you know, you 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 must be really happy and stuff. But I, I predict Fury to win. You know, I I thought Fury, and that, which is, again is why it makes it so impressive. Like the majority of the of the MMA world even knew that this was a very very tough test for him. But I I expected Fury to start picking it up after the fourth fifth round, and ultimately he he just wasn't able to. I was very very impressed. Do you think Fury underestimated Francis in a way? Um, as the fight, I think as the fight grew, Francis grew more in confidence. I think it was sort of around the second or it might be in the second or the third round where um, Fury got caught with a really good left hook. Um, and I think he just woke him up. Do you think he, he underestimated him a little bit? I, I do think he did. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say looking at his condition and, he, and his mobility, I would say that he looked like he was kind of halfway through a training camp for Usyk. You know, it was the perfect storm for Ngannou where I think Fury was maybe maybe looking a bit past him, thought this was going to be a good sparring session to promote the Usyk fight. And But yeah, I agree. It was that left hook that cut him on the forehead, the yeah, long yeah. kind of left hook. And, and like you saw Fury's eyes kind of roll for a second, like, my goodness, that was power. Um yeah. I, I don't necessarily know that he underestimated Francis. I think he could have certainly, like, if if he was the same fighter that came in against Deontay Wilder, then it would have been a much more uh, difficult fight for Ngannou, definitely. But I think more than anything, he underestimated the type of fighter that Ngannou was going to yeah. be. And, and we're all guilty of that. Like, e- even if his coaches knew. I was chatting to Eric Nixick uh, the night before the fight, and he had this kind of this kind of wily smile on his face, like, yeah, everyone's saying the right things and you're all wrong. You know, like we, no one was expecting him to come out and fight at range, right? Like I feel like Tyson Fury had, had prepared for a fighter that was going to be in his face, head in his chest, throwing big shots over the top, and he was going to be able to hold on to him and make him miss and wear him out. I, I, I think, I think it was. I mean, perhaps maybe a little bit underprepared, but a lot underprepared for the version of Fury of uh, of uh, Ngannou that he got. And when you talked about it round by round, and when we look at the fight round by round, obviously in the fourth round where he put him down, but also in the eighth round where he had so much success where, you know, he couldn't miss for Fury. He was catching him with really good shots. So you look at how well France has done, like applying his size and, and, and you know, so, so such a good performance from him. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, like we knew he was strong, but I didn't realize he was going to be that strong in the clinch. And I think that was a surprise for Fury as well. When he did lock up, I think he was he thought he was going to be able to kind of hold and control him a bit better than he was. But but Ngannou was doing a good job of kind of shaking free and building a good frame with that lead hand so he could keep punching him with the right. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm fighting from the outside. Like, like if I'm Tyson Fury and the guy's not attacking me, then I've got to try and instigate his attack. I've got to use use my feints. And Fury was fainting all night. And Ngannou, in the back of his head, and, and if you listen to his interview last night, he talks about this. From the first round, he was thinking 10 rounds. So from the first round, he was thinking, I can't do too much in this round because I want to see the 10th round and I want to be fresh for it if I do. So because of that, he wasn't biting on the feints that Fury was throwing at him. He, like Fury kept giving him the impression he was going to come, but Fury, like Ngani was just kind of patiently waiting with his stance, like maintaining good shape, maintaining his composure. And, and honestly, if he'd have been biting on those feints, he would have probably got, got tired quicker. Um, very, very impressive performance by him and, and difficult to understand how someone can be that controlled in their pro debut on that kind of stage. I did one thing I did want to ask you about, um, and it could easily sort of be a bit of a mistake, but there was something there was a sequence in the fight where Fury threw a jab, then he threw he tried to I don't know if he tried to throw a right hook, but it looked it looked extremely like an elbow. Um, didn't really cause France as much problems, but what did you do? You think that was sort of just a missed right hook, or do you think there was some intention there? Well, I mean, you know, I've, I've watched it back a few times. To me, if, if I saw that in a fight and someone landed that elbow, I would give them credit for, land, for throwing the elbow that they that he landed. You know, I wouldn't think, well, you know, he meant to throw a punch and caught him with the elbow. Um, he, he may not have intended to throw it, but the direction of the punch was going down towards the canvas, which which makes it look to me like he was trying to catch him with the elbow on the forehead. And that was really the only time I saw Ngannou take a moment and kind of open his eyes like... Hang on, what was that? That didn't feel like a boxing glove. Um, yeah, it was a little trick from uh, from Fury on the inside, and I, I would have expected that from him. Definitely. And one thing with Francis um, is his whole career, he's been proving people wrong. You know, everyone did say he fumbled the bag by leaving the UFC and not taking the John Jones fight. Now we've now we've obviously with the PFL, and um, his whole career, his whole life has really been proving people wrong. So do you feel like them town rounds we saw were sort of epitome of Ngannou's life in a way, whether you know he got the decision or not? Yeah, absolutely. It's a good way of putting it. You know, people have, have counted him out, you know, whether it was, you know, in his childhood when he was saying that he wanted to be a professional boxer and people counted him out or whether it was when he was traveling across an ocean on a raft, you know, to, to try and get to Europe. Like, like I'm sure people were telling him that he couldn't do it and he wasn't going to do it. You'll never be a UFC champion, et cetera, et cetera. It, he he is in the business of proving people wrong, and and he's just done it on the on the biggest stage in the world of combat sports. Uh, and and I, I I have to expect him to keep doing it, right? I, he's going to be ranked by the WBC. I expect him to have more boxing matches. I expect him to beat some familiar names that people wouldn't expect him to. And and I think you know, like we could genuinely be looking at a person that could have the WBC belt on one shoulder and the PFL belt on the other, which would be wild. Yeah. It goes on to what I was going to say, where what do you think is next for him? Do you feel like sort of the next step would be another boxing match or PFL? Or do you, you know, do you feel like it's good for the PFL to be flexible for, you know, like they, like they let with Clarissa Shields, that, you know, if you can do MMA, but you can also box as well? I mean, you know, I, I think it's, of course, it's smart for the PFL to work with Francis and support him no matter what he wants to do. I would love to see him in the smart cage, absolutely. And I think, you know, with his boxing skills and his mentality now coming out of that fight, Going into mixed martial arts, we're going to see him take on a whole other level again. 
I mean, it's unfortunate now. Obviously, John Jones is out, and looks like Stipe is going to be going to be kind of sidelined until Jones is back. Like the, the the heavyweight division in mixed martial arts has kind of slowed down a little bit. Now we've got um, the global championships coming up on Black Friday. We've got Henan Fajeda against Dennis Goltsov, and and honestly, both of those guys could be a real tough test in mixed martial arts for Francis. Um, but you have to consider boxing matches as well. And and if he decided he wants to pursue a rematch with Fury, if he wants to, you know, call out Anthony Joshua or take on Deontay Wilder or something like that. I mean, me personally, I can't speak on behalf of the whole PFL, but me personally, I would be very much in support of that because as a combat sports athlete, you have goals in mind. Like you remember when Anderson Silva wasn't allowed to box Roy Jones and he was, saw it in his performances. He was like, I don't want to be here. I, I just wouldn't want to, put a fighter in that position because I, I want them to achieve what, what they've set their mind to. And I, I think he could be a champion in boxing. And, and I think if he wants to pursue that, he should. And of course we would love to see him back in the smart cage and, and welcome boxers over to the smart cage. Hey, like I was in Atlanta the other week and I, I managed to get my hands on a, a pair of double XL PFL gloves because I knew Deontay Wilder was coming to the, to yeah. the interview point. So when he came over, I passed the gloves to him and he put them on and, like there was a there was a little twinkle in Deontay Wilder's eyes, thinking to himself, "I could really do some damage with these things." Yeah. So he talked about it. Like we might see Deontay Wilder come over and fight in, in mixed martial arts, even a hybrid rules fight, even uh, you know Fury if he wants to. I, th- I think the the doors are open now, especially with with what Ingarnu was able to do. And I think boxers will say, "Well, if you can do as well in our sport, maybe we can do as well in yours." And then we'll start seeing some crossovers going the opposite way. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I was going to talk about the Deontay Wilder fight um, because obviously he talked about willing to go into MMA. Um, do you think how, how realistic of a proposition do you think that is? We don't really see it much in a. We don't really see it much. The sort of the boxers coming over. I think you know um, Ray Mercer versus Tim Sylvia and uh, Randy Couture, who was actually there ringside against James Tony. Um, how sort of how how do you feel like sort of that would be an incredible thing if we did see a, a superstar like Wilder come over to the PFL and, and in MMA? It would be amazing. I mean, it would probably be the most watched fight ever, because <laughs> because I think there'd be a lot more intrigue in in a, you know a, a high level heavyweight professional boxer putting on the small gloves and stepping into the smart cage. I, I think that would be would be a fascinating. I mean, I, I even spoke to a bunch of the guys out in Riyadh, you know, like Carl Frampton the, and the other guys I was working with, and I said, if this was an MMA fight between uh, Fury and Ngannou, do you think it would be more or less popular? And every single one of them said more. They said it'd be more interesting because we would be seeing something unknown of Tyson and people would want to tune in and see. And and honestly, like I feel like Tyson would take well to mixed martial arts. We saw his elbows already. I feel like he could have <laughs> a few kicks and I feel like he would do well in MMA. You know, wrestling's gonna be a big problem for him because of his build, but like Tim Sylvia did all right, you know, and he was a very kind of tall, awkward looking heavyweight champion. But Deontay Wilder is a supreme athlete and and, and he he is a fighter format first and foremost that has good boxing skills he's a thunderous puncher i mean like he should be tested for the power most powerful punch on the planet like i know if you i know inganu's got the record but that's because we haven't tested other guys and i think deontay wilder would be up there as well and and stylistically you've got to think that fury is one of the most difficult tests for inganu whereas wilder because he's a power puncher he's a bit of a gunslinger in in the way that he fights there are bigger opportunities for Ngannou to catch him with big shots himself. So big gloves or small gloves, I think that fight makes a lot of sense. Definitely. We'll get on to other PFL business in a minute, but one thing I did want to ask you about was, obviously, next for Tyson Fury is Alexander Rusik. Um, 
does this have concerns for Fury after this performance, or does it make it more inter- more interesting where, uh, where both Usyk and Fury have thrown chinks in their armor? You know, I, I kind of feel like I kind of feel like Tyson Fury is he's the kind of person that's gonna he's gonna be very honest with himself. He's gonna look at that that last performance and he's gonna think to himself, you know what, I could have been better. I could have been sharper. I could have been lighter. I could have had a better game plan that had more adaptability in it, et cetera, et cetera. And these are all things that he's going to take into that training camp for Usyk. I think Usyk would have had an easier time with it with Fury if Fury had have just kind of rolled through in Garnu. But the fact that he had a big wake-up call there is going to really kick him into gear and motivate him for when he steps in there against Usyk. Because he's not now proven himself as the heavyweight uh, king. He's now got to remind people because he didn't look like it at the weekend um and, and i think that's a massive motivating factor so if anything usik's going to have a, a far more difficult fight than he would have done if fury was successful absolutely well we'll get on to more business with the pfl they're december the 8th uh, they're back in dublin um always brilliant to uh, be around irish and irish mma for uh, mma um as I say, there's another exciting card where we see the likes of Brett Johns, Tom, obviously Tom Breeze, very familiar to UK fans. Um, Dakota Ditchiver's back out. Um, how excited are we to be back out in Dublin uh, for the PFL? Oh, I, I can't wait. You know, some of my favourite memories of, of of being at mixed martial arts events were in Dublin. You know, uh, Colin McGregor against Brandau was was one of the highlights of my entire entire MMA career, and the Dublin crowd is, I mean, they are ferocious in their support. It, it is it's going to be a party atmosphere. It's going to be absolutely packed. I've I've made sure that we've got loads and loads of fighters on the card that bring that kind of intensity and excitement. And you know, this is the first time ever that a, that a, a, um, an event is going to have four European titles on the card. You know, we've got uh, lightweights, bantamweights, uh, uh, women's fe- uh, flyweights with uh, Dakota and uh, Valentina, and then of course the men's light heavyweights with Simeon Powell and Jacob Nedo. So we're going to have four champions crowned that night. Everyone, every one of those champions is going to win $100,000. And then the rest of the card is stacked. You mentioned some of the names, you know, two two big names that I wanted to sign. I've been wanting to sign for a while, Brett Johns and Tom Breeze. Like Tom Breeze for me is, is one of the best fights. Well, they both are. I mean, Brett Johns was ranked as, a, as one of the best bantamweights on the planet. You know, his career in the UFC and Bellator proved how good he is. And he's he's been he's been sidelined for a bit. And I know he's been desperate to get back in there. So this opportunity is going to make the most of it. And Tom Breeze is a silent assassin. You know, like people will underestimate Tom Breeze and what he's capable of. But if you look at what he's done since he left the UFC, he went over to Levels uh, Fight League in, in Holland and he's he's picked up two titles, middleweight and light heavyweight. And I've been on the mats watching him sparring, and he is he is something else. I am very, very excited for both of those guys on the card. And, and honestly, I mean, the card's stacked. Like, Don Wooden's going to be back against Ben Davis. I've got McGrillen on the card, although I'm having to find a new opponent for him. He is very, very difficult to match Lewis McGrillen. Uh, I'm working on that today. But, uh, yeah, and then, you know, some Irish favourites. We've got two Nathan Kellys on the card. Um, you know, the young Nathan Kelly who's going to be fighting amateur and then the, the PFL Nathan yeah. Kelly, who... I mean, what a homecoming it's going to be for him to, you know, he's been traveling around and fighting in the US to be able to come back to Dublin and, and fight there. He's going to, he's going to bring his performance to a new level. And, and I think the crowd's going to really appreciate him. Definitely. And where you look at 2023 with PFL Europe and then trying to expand, how successful would you say it's been where you've had Berlin, Newcastle, uh, Paris? Um, It's been, it's been sort of a, must've been a, a very, very good time for, for yourself. It's been an amazing year. It really has. I, I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, I actually started 
uh, I started working for the PFL Europe uh, in a, in a, the head of Vitrops capacity in uh, like two weeks before the the Newcastle card. Yeah. Um, I was focused on you know Veronica was in training camp for UFC London, so I I didn't want to get started too soon. So I, the global matchmaking team were, were doing a good job matching everybody, and I, and I just kind of left them to it. But now I'm ready to take over. And, and after this year, I, I've I've learned you know what we did well, what could have been done better. Um, you know how we can better utilize the fighters that we've got and and be more prepared for um for the shows that are coming up it's, it's been a real good learning experience for me but if you look at what we've done i mean newcastle was a fantastic event for, first event uh, for pfl europe was was incredible you know loads of finishes loads of great performances uh, you know a real a real celebratory atmosphere in there as well and then berlin i mean you know that was lightweights and bantamweights so it was some of the most competitive fights that, that I was expecting were in those two weight classes and and I, I I think that that was an incredible show as well but then it all, all pales in comparison to Paris right yeah, yeah. That, that, was, that was an event that nobody could have really predicted you know we, we had not only did we have great playoff fights all the way through you know very very competitive but we had two superstars at the top of the card you know the Lazy King, I've been watching his career coming through Aries. He is something special. And he's going to be going over onto the global roster in lightweight next year, which is even more terrifying. And then the superstar that is Cedric Dumbe. Like, th those kind of athletes come through very, very occasionally. Uh, and the way that he was able to command that fight week and, and hype the fight and, you know, the walkout with the mattress and then the, what, eight, nine-second knockout with Kylian yeah. Mbappé sitting uh, cage side. It was it, it was a bigger event than we could have anticipated. I, I couldn't be more proud of the team. Well, as we look back on 2023, we must look forward to 2024. Um, what can you what can we sort of expect uh, without revealing too much? But what is sort of your plan for 2024? Well, I'm already signing people now. I'm already building the roster for 2024. Um, I've, I'm going to switch out one of the weight classes that we did this year, just because. Some of the weight classes are a lot deeper than others, and they're a lot more competitive. Um, and and there is like. What I'm looking for is fighters that are going to potentially be uh, European champions that can then step into the world scene and, and take on you know the likes of Sadabusi and Magomed Kerimov, which is is a, you know a big ask. They're terrifying individuals, but we've got great fighters around and and welterweight for me is a big a big weight class. So I want to I want to bring that in next year. Um, we've, we've got lightweights and we've got bantamweights and we've got women's flyweights. Um, some fighters will be moving on to the global roster. Some fighters will be coming back. So there'll be some familiar names next year, but a lot of new faces as well. And, you know, we'll, we'll do probably four shows next year. I keep trying to push for one more because I've got so many fighters that want yeah. to be competing. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what the shows look like next year. They're going to look a little bit different. I'm going to structure them a bit different. And I'm going to be bringing in some uh, some veterans of the game who can kind of, you know, sit in feature positions on the card and set some examples for these young'uns because the, the veterans of the game, they're like, right, time's running out. I've had 35 yeah. fights. Let's, let's have five more and let's see what we can do. Um, so I've got some really exciting fighters that are very, very familiar to people that are going to be on those cards as well. Absolutely, Dan. It's been a pleasure catching up with you. Always enjoy it talking to you, as always, as I like to do. Um, if you want to give a plug to your YouTube, your Twitter, your Instagram, where people can find you. Thanks. Yeah, well, I'm on I'm on everything. Dan Hardy MMA is my handle. And then if you're searching me on, on YouTube, either search Dan Hardy or Full Reptile. 
and you'll find uh, you'll you'll find all of my breakdowns and stuff. And I've just done a short one on on the Ngannou Fury fight as well. So if anyone's interested in a bit more uh, uh, depth of the explanation, then you can find it there. Absolutely, I'll be linking that in the description. Dan, thank you as always for catching up with you, and uh, yeah, hopefully catch up with you soon, mate. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely, always Cheers. good talking to you. Sports Social Podcast Network.